Good morning, everyone. We're on part three of questions people ask. And so far in this series, we've been looking at uh, questions asked related to who God is. Uh, week one, we talked about Jesus and what he's about, questions about his life, what that means for us. Uh, last week, we talked about God and his existence and being good and powerful, but yet why does evil and suffering exist. So, so far our questions have been primarily focused on God, the Godhead, God, the father, Jesus, uh, the son, and also there, there's the Holy spirit. So we've been focusing on, on him, but this week we're actually going to kind of flip the switch a little bit. We're going to focus now on his followers. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian today, some of these questions are directed at you. Uh, but what you'll find is that these aren't questions just for Christians. These are questions we actually all have to ask. Uh, but specifically, if you're a Christian, this question is for you. And it's this. What about Christians who don't act Christian? I believe that's a question I've heard before. In fact, I've known people that have asked that about my life when I haven't acted like a Christian. Uh, you may have been asked that. You may have asked that yourself as you've looked around at Maybe churches or people that you know that, that follow Jesus or proclaim uh, to be a Christian. That is a real question people have. Why do people not practice what they preach? Why do people say things and then do another? Why does it seem like people are fake or plastic, uh, ingenuine? All those kinds of questions are in that, that idea of what do we do with people who don't seem to act like the way that they say you should live? Like there's a disconnect there. And those are actually good questions to ask. Uh, one of the things that's difficult is that though, when people ask questions, you don't exactly know, uh, part of their angle they're coming from the definition of terms that they're using. So I want to just start by some of the specific questions that fit under that. Why do people not practice what they preach? Why do Christians not act Christian? But there's some specific pieces that I want to talk about and define them. So here are some of the specific questions that you kind of find under this big question of why do Christians not act Christian? The first is why are Christians hypocritical. Now you'll see a kind of a, a word image there with hypocrite in the center of this image and then all these different words uh, connected to it. And so if you just see that for a moment, you see all these things. Now, if, as you see those words, what's interesting is even the word hypocrite, it's a word just like any word, but it actually kind of packs a lot of emotion because you, you may have think of somebody, you may have think of an experience you've had. You look at all those other words and those kind of get emotion welling up in us. But why, why are Christians hypocritical? Well, what does it mean uh, to be hypocritical? What's hypocrisy? Well, hypocrisy is a simulation, deceitful appearance or false pretense. I went way back to the dictionary here, 1828 Webster's Dictionary. It's this idea of it's not real. Like simulation, there's something fake going on here. Uh, ne next question, why are Christians judgmental? That's something that's been asked a lot. Like, they're, they're so judgy. Why are people judging me? Why is the church judging me? Why are Christians judging me? Well, here's the definition of judgmental. Having or displaying an excessively critical point of view. So the idea of judge and crit, critic, those kind of usually go the same. Just people looking, turning their nose down at other people. Another question, why are Christians legalistic? Well, here's what legalism means. Giving too much attention to legal rules and details. Usually this falls under why do Christians or why do people care so much about what I'm doing wrong or right? And they're paying attention to all the details, but they're not loving me. A lot of times that's kind of the, the critique of those who are legalistic. 
And then the last question, and this word is a buzzword, the idea of tolerance, but why are Christians intolerant? Intolerance is this, the unwilling people to grant equal freedom of expression, especially in religious matters. So it's that idea. Well, it's just, there's, there's one way to do it. Preference or rules or whatever way and, and every else, you know, everyone else is, is, is wrong. So all of these kind of fall under this same idea that there's something that people are saying and it's maybe not matching up with their life or people are not paying attention to their own life. They're just paying attention to the lives of others and they become critical. Now, as I talk about that, I don't think any of us would want to be in a relationship uh, with people like this, right? right? I think that's true. Also, I don't think you want to live like this. This is not the type of person that you want to be. So I think we can all agree with that. Now, what I want to say, and I've been talking about this uh, throughout this series, is that this is actually not a Christian problem. Now, does that mean that Christians can be these labels? Absolutely. And it's sin. Anytime people get into these modes of judgment, of looking down on people, of being hypocritical, not practicing what you preach. It's wrong. It's actually sin. And we're going to talk about why that is. But it's also kind of an overgeneralization to kind of say all of Christianity is, is like this or all the Christians or all the people in church are like this. It's, it's easy, especially in, in times like this. Uh, you don't have to look far for people to just say, lump people in the same group. So I I just want to ask you to be careful. You may have had experiences where you've been hurt by people who are Christians and that's wrong. You yourself may be a Christian and you've hurt people and, and that's wrong. And it's really easy again to look outside at everyone else. But I want you, like, as we talk about things today, I want you to kind of look inside, like just ask God to speak to you. Are we any of these things? Do you, do you display any of these? And, and God will begin to talk to you about that. Not guilt and shame, not this just general sense, but he'll be specific. So just ask him, like as, as you think about stuff, like ask him to speak to you and he will. So this is a battle for all of us, not just the Christians, not just people in the church. It's actually a battle for all of us. We, we can all fall into these, these categories. Well, why is that? Well, this is a human problem. Like we talked about the last couple of weeks because of sin, because of going our own way, our independence from God, we actually give easily into faking it. We can say things and then not live them out. Because again, in our heart, we're corrupt. We're, we're evil people at the core. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have potential for good, but there's some things that are really wrong inside of all of us. And here's what the scripture says in Romans 3. It says, as, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So the scripture here is talking about the rebellion that that we've been saying, like the brokenness of sin, going our own way. And it's just saying that, again, this, this has plagued all of us. This is why Jesus came. And because Jesus came, he was the only one that wasn't plagued. And he's the only one that, that could save us. So the reason this is a problem is because we've all just gone our own way. This is a sin issue for for all of us in our rebellion where it's easy to be hypocritical. It's easy to be judgmental. It's easy to think you're right and everyone else is wrong. Don't believe me? Just look at what's happening as we talk about politics. Recently, they've had the presidential debate and it's just 
things blow up and you just you have people just barking from both sides. It's very easy, whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's family life, in our communities, all of those things flow into each other. So again, we're all plagued by this. This is all a struggle. In fact, I want to just tell you a little brief story about my own life. Um, I grew up in a church. Uh, I grew up with Christian parents. Um, I would go to church all the time. I would be there for Sunday school on Sunday morning, what we call big church, where you go into church and worship with, with everyone. Then I'd be back at church on Sunday night. I'd have youth group on Wednesday. Sometimes I would have choir practice on a Sunday afternoon. So I was at church. If I wasn't at home and I wasn't at school, I was at church. I grew up going to the church. What's very interesting is I grew up going to the church, but I actually became many of these labels I've just described to you. In fact, I rebelled against God my senior year of high school, and I really became a hypocrite. I became somebody who said things with my mouth, but with my life, I did the opposite. So as I'm sharing with you today, this is actually something that, that's dear to my heart in that it's serious and it's something that I've wrestled with. And I really want to encourage you to wrestle with it as well. Uh, for me, what happened is my senior year, some values shifted in my life. And the value of God and putting him first actually took second place to some other values and maybe third place and maybe fourth place. And some of those values were I really wanted to be popular and liked. Most people want that. Even as an adult, we like that. Uh, in high school, there's a lot of pressure to be cool, to fit in. And I, I really allowed this uh, to be kind of my map that guided me forward. So I, I really wanted to be cool. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be accepted. And so I began to do things that people who do that do. And I was looking around, I was looking all around me. And I thought, well, you got to just fit in. You got to go with the crowd. And, and that's what I began to do. I also like to feel good more than I like to do right. And I think that's normal too. Like we want to feel good. We want to do what makes us happy. But some of the time, what makes us happy and feel good isn't what's right. And because I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be cool and I wanted to be popular. So, you know, those were where those value structures began to take shape. And so in my own life, I started a Christian club at my high school with another person. We got this started. Christians gathering with Christians. It had never been done. And at the same time, I was hurting people. I was not living out my faith. So on one hand, I was kind of appearing like I had it all together. And then on the other, when no one was looking, I was rebelling against God. It wasn't until I was a freshman in college where God really got a hold of me. I was empty. I was alone. And I realized I'd been playing the game of Christianity. That's faking it. Knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it. I knew how to appear like I had it all together, but on the insides, it was all falling apart. And you may experience that even now. And it's still a battle. Like you still, even to this day, you're always having to say, like God, in integrity, make sure that the person I am on the inside matches the person I'm on the, the outside. And God helps us to continue to be real, to continue to surrender. So if this is you and you've had bad experiences, I just want to say, I was a part of that. I have given Christianity a bad name. Now, in God's grace, I've been able to change. And I've been able to transform. And for the most part, I've really aimed to make right the wrongs that I've done in my life. But I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Christians aren't perfect. The church is not perfect. So I want to encourage you. Think about this. Internalize this. 
And then let's kind of hear from Jesus as his view of of these things, because he really helps give some categories. Here's the good news about Jesus. He hates all forms of manipulation and oppression. That's the first main point. He hates manipulating. He, He hates when people do things that is not real, or they do things to make themselves look better and to make others look worse. He hates when people leverage people, come up with power to hurt people, oppression, all all forms. He he hates this. That's not the life that he lived. And so I want to share with you some words that he gave to the religious leaders of his time. There were three main groups that he interacted with all the time. There were the Pharisees and the scribes, and they were the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the scribes were really interested in following the law as much as possible. They became very legalistic in their own right. And they were like the religious leaders in the temple, in all the religious circles, the Pharisees and scribes. The scribes were the people who would write the Old Testament to keep that going. But there was kind of this elitism that they had, like they did everything that God said and more. And they were in these religious circles of great power. And then the Sadducees, were also religious in nature, power of the day, but they were focused more on political and social. So these groups in the time were like, they're high up in the social scale. They had a lot of influence. They said a lot of things. And so Jesus actually really aimed some helpful perspective their way, sometimes which came across as as harsh. Sometimes he didn't pull any punches and it just seemed like, whoa, Jesus, that, that was intense. And I want to share some scriptures from Matthew 23, where uh, in these chapters in Matthew 23 and 22, these groups are asking questions to test Jesus, not just to test him, but but really to catch him in lies, to to trick him, to make him uh, come out like this false teacher. They want to discredit his influence. They want to take away the authority that he was gaining because people were beginning to listen to his teaching. They were beginning to watch his life how he helped people. And he was gaining some popularity. He was gaining this influence. People wanted to to follow him. So these religious leaders knew this and said, hey, we, we have to challenge him. We need to come against him. He's a threat to our very own power. And so they're asking him questions and then they're kind of taking turns. It's like a a price fight where they're jabbing, they're jabbing, they're getting hooks in, like just peppering questions, peppering questions. And, and this is what Jesus says. And he's watching these religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes, they're seeing what they're doing. And then he, he, he kind of takes a step back and he, he looks around. He sees the disciples and he sees the crowds and decides that this is a teachable moment. So catch up with me in Matthew 23, 1 through 4. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So what Jesus is saying is, is they actually have a place of authority to teach religious teachings. So what Jesus is saying is, it's like, pay attention. You might learn something from what they say. But notice he says, listen to what they say, but do not do what they do. Very interesting. Jesus is actually saying, don't take them seriously enough that you're going to follow their actions and do the same. Think for yourself. And then based on what you're learning, you act differently. 
So really interesting. Jesus is actually addressing hypocrisy. That's what hypocrisy is. Saying one thing and, and doing another. So Jesus, he calls it out. And then he also calls out their judgmentalism and this legalism where they're laying these burdens on people. Just picture this heavyweight that's crushing you down. Heavyweight that's crushing you down. And then he's saying, and then as leaders, they have no weight on them at all. The very thing that they're telling you should do that they're not doing themselves. So they're from this, this angle of authority telling you something, but then not actually sacrificing, not doing what they've said. And so Jesus is saying, be, be very careful. Now, the great thing about Jesus is he didn't just say, watch out for them. Don't do what they do and, and just leave people to themselves to figure it out. Jesus actually became the model. He was the opposite of this. See, they, they took life from people by all the burdens and the hypocrisy and the legalism. They put burdens on people. They choked the life out. And Jesus came. He, like I shared the first week, he lifted the burden off. He, he took the yoke off and he gave them a, a new yoke of, of a fresh start. Like it's not too late to change. It's not too late to live a different transformed life. They took life from people. They choked it out. Jesus gave it. You don't have to look far in the New Testament. In the Gospels, you see Zacchaeus, a sinner, a tax collector, had robbed all the people in his village. And he was so interested in learning about Jesus. He climbed in a tree. He was short. He couldn't see Jesus. He wanted to see him. He climbed in a tree. Jesus saw him. He accepted him. He loved him and said, I want to go to your house. Let's eat together. Let's hang out together. I want to get to know you. Now, in this day, to go to somebody's house was the just... You would not do that with people of questionable moral character. You're, you know, you're saying that like, this is a friend. And so people just, the religious leaders, how could he be friends with this tax collector? But that, that's who Jesus was. He accepted. And then Zacchaeus, life was transformed. He made the wrongs he had done right. Very interesting. The woman at the well had multiple husbands. Jesus loved her, listened to her story, told her, to change, to repent. But he accepted her where where she was. He gave her a fresh start. He gave Zacchaeus a fresh start. His disciples, a fresh start. All the people that followed him, he healed a fresh start. And that's what Jesus did. So Jesus didn't come and just tell us something. He came and he lived it. And ultimately, he gave his life down for us. So very interesting. Now, he goes on in Matthew 23. And notice it gets a little bit more intense. And this is verse 25 through 28. This is what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So now he just calls them what they are. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly, appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So begins with this warning, woe to you. Now, one of Jesus' most popular teachers are called the Beatitudes, where he called people blessed. So the woe is the opposite of blessed are you. So it's, it's really like this idea of, of cursed. Your life will not come together because of the way that you're living. 
So he's giving you this, this warning to these Pharisees, to these scribes. Woe to you if you act like your life is all together, but you're, you're faking it on the inside. And he gives this analogy. You're cleaning the, the outside of the cup, like this beautiful cup, but then the inside's all dirty and you wouldn't want to drink from it. That's what he's saying is their, their appearance looked a certain way. What they did out in public looked a certain way. But behind closed doors and in their hearts, they did not want to do what God said. They did not want to love God. They did not want to love people. They were really in it for themselves. And then he gave an analogy of a whitewashed tomb. Here's a picture of a whitewashed tomb. Now, these are not the kinds of places you want to hang out, obviously, at a cemetery. But from a distance, you look at these white tombs and it's like pure, right? Like it's, it's clean. But Jesus is saying the irony of that. You have a whitewashed tomb, but inside, it's death. And that's what he's saying is, is when you're not living out what God says, and when you're not surrendering to him, you're not letting him really transform you from the inside out, then it's just, there's like this rotting decay that's going on. You're going through the motions. You're checking off the boxes just to appear a certain way. Now, what's interesting is this woe to the Pharisees and the scribes is actually the same woe to us. Woe to us. If we fake it, woe to me if I go through the motions, but don't surrender daily to Jesus. And when I talk about surrender, it's such an important word because it's so easy to think, okay, I, I need to, to read my Bible and I need to, to pray. And we, we check that off. And, and then I need to, to, to serve. And, and then I need to watch church. And I need to go to church and I need to do these things. And I need to be in group. And we just keep checking and checking and checking But inside, there's not this relationship where we're talking to God about our struggles, where we're talking to God about our fears, where we're opening up to others that we trust within the church to really let them into our life. It's so easy, again, outwardly, we appear one way, and inside, we're not bowing our knee to Jesus. And so that warning for them is the same warning for us. And so he goes through just don't focus on the outward appearance, how you appear good or how you appear righteous. Let God transform you from the inside out. Now, it's really interesting. In his approach to the Pharisees, to the scribes, as he related to the Sadducees, even to those who appeared righteous, it's interesting. Jesus actually comes across as being somewhat intolerant and judgmental of these people, right? It, it's, it's kind of harsh, it seems like. The reason he does that is because these people are setting a standard. They're... They're saying like, this is right. So he's coming and saying, actually, there's some things off. And so he's trying to kind of tip the scales. He's trying to shake things up. But that brings up a, an important question about Jesus himself. Was Jesus intolerant? Was Jesus judgmental of people? Well, that, that word tolerance, and I want to kind of focus a little bit more on this. Tolerance has become a, a buzzword of our time. Like it, it's kind of hard to define uh, so I, I want to spend some time doing that. But in Jesus' day, the idea of tolerance is a little bit different uh, than our, our day today. But again, what he was doing is he was trying to reset some things. Some things had gotten lost. People who thought they were following God were going really in their own direction to please themselves. And so Jesus comes strong against that. Again, he, he hates the manipulation. And he hates the oppression. He came to give people life, full life, refreshing life. But let's define tolerance because I think it's, it's helpful for us. Three kinds of tolerance. Legal tolerance is, is the first one that you see. 
And you'll see this defined. It says, you have a right to believe whatever you want. And the Bible advocates for this. So legal tolerance is actually something that most people would agree. You have the right, you have the freedom, the right and the freedom to believe whatever you want. Again, we've talked about freedom. It's very important. So that's true. And the Bible advocates for this. There's another type of tolerance. This is social tolerance, point two. This is accepting someone else as a human being, regardless of what they believe, showing love toward them and being open to them as fellow human beings. The Bible advocates for this as well. This is the idea of God made man and woman in his image. So humans are image bearers. They have a value. So social tolerance is I am not going to degrade you. I'm not going to step on you. I'm not going to come against you because God made you. And if I come against you, I'm coming against his prize creation. No matter where somebody is, we don't do that. So that's social tolerance. So legal tolerance, people have the freedom and the right to believe what they want. Legal tolerance, they actually have the right to live with dignity because God has given them that as image bearers. Now, here's where the distinctions start to become helpful as we talk about Christians, tolerance, Jesus, all in one. And this is the the third type, intellectual tolerance. This is how this is defined. This is accepting any and every idea or choice or lifestyle as being equally valid, good, right, and true. Now, here's the distinction. The Bible, for intellectual tolerance, the Bible does not advocate this. You can't say that every idea and every way of living is right. Because that actually goes against God's design. That goes against his word. It goes against the truth. The idea that anyone can believe anything actually means that everything is true, but then there is no truth. Because the same truth can't exist if they're polar opposite. And so intellectually tolerant people are saying everything's the same. As long as it makes you happy. We, we've, we hear that in culture. As long as it makes you happy. As long as you're doing what you want to do. Well, actually, this is where I think most people have a problem with, with Christians. Like, it's just a bad experience because in their experience, they think Christians should be from this position that they should affirm everyone. So I, I want to just talk about this a little bit. As we can see in the scriptures, Jesus loved everyone. He did. Jesus accepted everyone. Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, he, he loved them. But intellectual tolerance is, is, I love you, but I'm not going to affirm every decision you make as being right or true or pleasing to God. The reason I bring this up is so many people think Christians are intolerant because they're not intellectually tolerant. But Christian, you actually can't be intellectually tolerant and really follow the Bible because the Bible is full of all sorts of things you should not do. That's why we read it. They're commands. It's the truth. They guide us in a way. It's a path. In fact, the scriptures talk about the narrow way. It's narrow. It means that it's not this wide open worldview. It's actually narrow. Now, everyone's accepted to walk, but to walk in the path, you have to walk the narrow way. And we'll talk about this Next week, as we close out the series asking the question, is there more than one way to God? Because even Christianity in its core could be seen as being intolerant, even as it views how do other people get to heaven? 
So this is at the core of things related to our relationships, our view, viewpoints. So again, as a, as a follower of Christ, you need to love and accept everyone. As a church, we love and accept everyone. But it doesn't mean that we affirm it. It doesn't mean that we think every way to live is the right way. And that makes sense to us. Actually, none of us are completely intellectually tolerant because we all have a sense of what right and wrong is. The issue in our culture now is things have shifted so much that there isn't really a moral compass. Because part of it is there's no truth. Everyone can believe what they want to believe. Or you discover your own truth within yourself, but then your truth is different from someone else's truth. So there's like this lack of a transcendent truth. There's not a moral compass that guides us. Therefore, we're all just doing our own thing. And this is where relationships get messed up because somebody's doing something that someone else thinks is wrong. And that person feels like they're not affirmed. But the Christian from his position is like, well, I will love you and I'll accept you, but I can't affirm because it's not right. You see this in all sorts of areas. And these become hot topics of our day. But a Christian, you have to let the Bible be your guide. Culture cannot be your guide. Preferences cannot be your guide. Popular opinion cannot be your guide. The Bible has to be your guide. So this goes back to the first point. The way you actually live the way God wants you to live and not become hypocritical, judgmental, legalism, legalistic, or intolerant is you let God transform you by getting into his word, surrendering, saying, I want to do things your way. And then you become a different person. So in closing, I want to encourage you. Take some time to let God speak to you this week to let him show you maybe things in your heart where the outside of the cup's being clean, but the inside isn't. Maybe where the whitewashed tomb, it's all clean, but there's some rotting and decay. Just ask God to, to show you if any of that's going on. Now, again, it's so easy to look at others, but ask God, speak to you. Have some time in the word. You could go back and read Matthew 22, 23, 24. Just spend some time reading those chapters in the context of the scriptures that I've talked about. So what does this mean? Well, let's go through some next steps. Now on that connection card, uh, click on that. If you haven't filled that out, go ahead and do that and you can take some next steps and you'll see those on there. The first is disconnect this week in solitude and silence to hear from God. So that of disconnecting, this, this could be from people. This could be from your normal circumstances. Take an hour, take a couple hours, get out, find a place where you can just spend some time with God. And ask him, God, is there any wrong attitudes in my heart right now? Is there any part of me that, that's being judgmental when I, I shouldn't be or hypocritical? Just ask God to show you. Disconnect from your phone. Just try to allow God to get your attention. This was my issue. When I, when I was in high school, when I rebelled, I didn't want to give God my attention. So I encourage you, allow God to get your attention. The second Honestly evaluate your objections to following Christ and ask God to make himself real to you. If you're investigating Christianity, you are welcome here at Ridgeview. In, in fact, no matter where you're coming from, you're, you're welcome here. Again, we, we accept you. We, we love you. We want to actually know you. But sometimes, you, you know, it's easy to like not take steps towards God because we look at others. But don't let other people's choices in life deter you from the choice that you need to make. So just ask God, like, 
I don't know if I can follow you. These are my concerns. And just ask him to, to make himself real. Begin to get in the word. Allow it to just kind of speak to you to come alive. As you do that, what you'll find is, is like, I can't look at others to become my objections. I need to, to focus on what I need to do. Again, focusing inwardly. And the last next step, and this can seem kind of disconnected, but, it, but it's not, but I encourage you to sign up for a connect group like I already mentioned. These connect groups are key ways to stay in relationships with people that can encourage you and grow you. These are ways that you can become real with people. You can get challenged, encouraged. The more you are by yourself doing your own thing, the more things make sense to you and you just do life your own way. And so you'll see the options. If you're not ready to meet in person, we have in-person groups. Again, you can sign up online for an online group and you can connect that way as well. So on your connection card, take a next step. If you have a prayer request, we would love to pray for you. And we're so glad you decided to join us online this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, who told us the truth, who warned us about faking it. Thank you, God, for the fresh start that you give people, that you give us. Thank you for giving life to us when we have the K. God, I pray for people this week to take the time to disconnect, to come before you, and to hear from you, from your word. God, if there's anything that's kind of in our way hindering us from taking a next step, will you, will you show us? And God, I just pray for these connect groups as they're going to be getting started, that people will really grow in friendship with, with one another, that you'll grow our unity in the church, that, that we'll grow in our relationship with you as well through these groups. So I pray for these groups as well. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.